0: and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven, for so they were persecuted, the prophets who were before you.
1: I, for one, am am glad the election campaigns are over. They're full of promises, and if you look back in history you remember campaign promises and how well they're kept we've heard a lot of promises and we will again every politician makes promises wouldn't it be great if we could elect someone <clears throat> who could cure covid and a bunch of other diseases someone who was wildly popular loved by everybody would unify the whole nation because people loved him so much maybe somebody like the one described in Matthew's Gospel, chapter four. Let me read verse 23. Jesus was going throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, healing every kind of disease, including COVID, and every kind of sickness among the people. I had a little editorial comment. The news about him spread throughout all Syria And they brought to him all who were ill, those suffering with various diseases and pains, demoniacs, epileptics, paralytics, healed them all. Large crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Boy, the disciples had hooked on to the right guy. This was their man and he was doing really really well. And the the, the disciples must have been ecstatically happy. Don't you think? Happy. I wanna talk about happiness. There's all kinds of books that give you keys to happiness, how to be happy. And now I wanna spend a week or two on Jesus and his teachings on happiness. What does Jesus say about how to be happy? I'm going to be focusing on one word the word promise and today just talk about promises made promises kept and promises trusted the key to happiness is promises and as you look at these beatitudes which were read here's the first point and it's the point that Jesus I think makes here rather surprisingly that promises are at the root of our happiness, promises made. So the disciples, as I said, are very happy. This is the beginning of the ministry of Jesus and things are looking good, really, really good. They're marching forward, Jesus is healing, people are flocking to him from every region. His star is rising, the poles are good. He's gonna be king very soon. People are gonna demand that he be king. He's gonna be the Messiah the inheritor of the throne of King David. He's going to boot out those awful Romans. The end will come of those extortion-level taxes, and he's going to establish a righteous kingdom, the kingdom of Messiah. It's just around the corner, and they're just so happy. They're just so happy. They found the winner. And so Jesus begins to preach this beautiful sermon. We call it the Sermon on the Mount, And the very first word out of his mouth is happy. In our translation, it says blessed, blessed are the poor in spirit. And almost always the word is translated blessed. And it's a good translation because it does convey the sense of God's favor. But that same word also means happy or fortunate. And in some instances, few instances in the New Testament, it's translated that way. Of course, blessed is a good word, isn't it? It it, it conveys the the depth of what Jesus is talking about, but the problem is it's not part of our ordinary vocabulary. You know, If you go to buy a car, the salesman doesn't say, you know, this little baby is beautiful, it's on sale, it's going to really bless you. No, he's going to say it's going to really make you happy. We don't sing blessed birthday to you, blessed birthday to you. We sing happy because, well, that's the word we use in our day, in our everyday kind of life. And so blessed, well, it's kind of a <clears throat> sacred word. We, we segregate it into this second story, Christianese kind of life or spiritual life, some transcendent reality. You know, we th- think of somebody who's blessed, we think of somebody with a gentle smile, walking with his hands folded in front of him, probably wearing burlap, content to eat gruel three times a day. And, you know, if I say, you want to be blessed, you'll say, "Uh, thanks, I'm fine. I don't really want that. So it's a good word. But if, on the other hand, we translate the word as happy, well, it just seems way too light. It seems superficial, something that comes and goes, a, a mood that, that changes depending on whether the sun is shining or not. And and we get the sense that that's not what Jesus is talking about, something that light and airy. So, at least for today, let me propose this. Let's use the word happy here, but let's deepen our understanding of it. Jesus is talking about much more than a superficial lifting of our emotions for a while, but on the other hand, he's talking about genuine happiness. He's talking about the the happiness that we all long for, that your neighbors long for. He's talking about real happiness. So, he gives a list, opening with a list of those who are happy. Happy are, begins with the poor in spirit. Actually, when you look at this list, wouldn't you call this the unhappiest people in the world? Happy are the poor in spirit, not those who are strong and self-confident, but poor in spirit. Uh, happy are those who mourn, really? Brokenhearted, grieving? Happy are the meek or the gentle, not those who are aggressive, who know how to get things done, who have a strong voice. Happy are those hungering for righteousness or justice, the same word, but not having it yet. They're still hungry for it. Happy are the merciful, you know, those who've been hurt and betrayed. Who else needs to show mercy? Happy are the pure in heart those who desire in the depths of their heart to please god but warring within them are contrary desires that they have to deny happy are the peacemakers caught in the middle they don't want to choose side and yet now they have to pay a cost to make peace happy are those who are persecuted and mocked for their faith and we say no 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 these are the unhappiest people i know how to make them happy you know not happy are the meek, you know, send them to assertiveness training and they'll know how to, how to act. Not happy are the merciful, just get away from people who are hurting you. Why are you even hanging around those people? Not happy are the peacemakers, no. It's not your fight, stay away, don't get involved. It's not the rocket science, we'd say. But Jesus describes them as happy we have to ask why. And I want to point out that the key to happiness here is trusting in the promises of Christ. Look at what is now and what is in the future. So I'm taking a broad view. I'm not going to be examining each one of these beatitudes, just taking a broad view. On the one hand, look what's happening now. Uh, They are being meek. That's the way they're living. They're hungering for righteousness. They're showing mercy they're being pure they're making peace they're being persecuted all these things are happening now and jesus says now they are happy as they are doing those things jesus says happy are you fortunate are you blessed are you why well for that he points to the future when he gives the reason for their happiness you know for example verse 4 blessed are those who mourn for they shall be comforted He points to the future. There's something that's going to happen. It's always the future tense. You shall, you will, the earth will be yours. You will be satisfied. Mercy will be shown. You will be called the sons of God. You you will have a great reward in heaven. It's always in the future. It's not in the present, but it's in the future. In other words, Jesus' formula for the key to happiness is different than what you hear anywhere else. He says, present happiness is trusting in the promises of Christ for the future. Happy are those who trust in what I will give to you, will give to you. So you'll feel like wringing someone's neck because they've hurt you, they've hurt you a hundred times, and then you hear the promise of Jesus that, He's going to pour mercy out on the merciful and it changes the way you live. You want to be quiet about your faith. I mean, who wants to be persecuted, mocked, made fun of? And then you hear the promise of Jesus, great is your reward in heaven. And You weigh that and it changes the way you live, the way you witness. So you live happy lives under the conviction that something amazing is yours because the one who has promised it is absolutely reliable, the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus says that's the key to happiness. You have to let that sink in. I, I think the Holy Spirit has to sink that into us because it's completely different than what we hear in all the other books that talk about how to be happy. So happiness, Jesus says, is trusting in a promise. Happiness is really like an engagement ring. I think that's a great uh, way to look at it, and I'll explain why. An engagement ring is given by a man to the woman he loves. He puts it on her finger as a promise. I pledge that I am for you now and forever. I'm going to take you to myself, and I will love you and cherish you and nourish you. Now, the woman may still be in a hard circumstance. She may be far from her her groom, the future husband. She may have a hard time at work, but every time she looks at her ring, she remembers the promise of love. She remembers the future that awaits her, that there's someone who's gonna be committed to her for life, and she's filled with happiness because she has a pledge, she has a promise that will not be broken. Now, there's a pledge that we have, a pledge that points to the future. It's just like an engagement ring, and it's the Holy Spirit of Christ. It's very, very interesting to me that not only did Jesus promise to give us the Holy Spirit when we believed him, he's your inheritance, he's your, promised to each uh, believer in the Jesus Christ, but in at least three places, Paul refers to the Holy Spirit as the seal, the guarantee of what has been promised to us. And though that word seal is interesting in each of those three cases, for example, in 2 Corinthians, verse 5 of chapter 5, it's called, the, the Greek word is arabone. And it's an interesting word in and of itself. It means that there's a guarantee that God has given us and every time we, we experience the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our lives, we are being reminded that this is ours for sure. But that word arabon is interesting it wasn't the way it was used 2,000 years ago, but the meaning has changed some. And in modern Greek, the word arabone means engagement ring. It's just a nice word picture to keep in mind, right? It's a happy coincidence, you might say, that the Holy Spirit, if we think of it like that, is like our engagement ring the guarantee of the promises that Jesus has made to all his people. And Jesus is saying, Happiness comes from trusting his promises for the, fu- for the future, promises sealed by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to each of us. So, so the first thing to know about happiness, and friends, I know there's people that struggle with this issue. Happiness is something we all want, and not all of us have. But the first thing Jesus says is the key to happiness is promises, the promises he has made. So that brings us to the second point. If Happiness rests on promises, then broken promises destroy happiness. Have you ever had anybody break his or her promises to you? Doesn't that just take you down into the depths? So secondly, what we need is not just promises made, but promises kept. Just to illustrate that, I'll I'll talk about three things. Promises kept by someone who is loyal, someone who is wise, and someone who is powerful. Those are the promises you can trust, right? First, you need someone who's loyal because nothing destroys happiness like being betrayed. I, I, I think it's true in friendship, it's true in business, it's certainly true in marriage. Someone who you've entrusted your affections to, you're giving your trust to, maybe trusted your money to, and someone turns on you. I, I know that's happened to many, many people that I know and it's certainly Probably uh, happen in your life. Someone you relied on for future happiness lets you down. I, I don't know if you've ever felt this way. This is how the psalmist describes it Psalm 55, verse 20 and 21. My companion stretched out his hand against his friends. His companion, someone he trusted. He violated his covenant. His speech was smooth as butter, yet war was in his heart. His words were softer than oil yet there were drawn swords. People who have suffered betrayal like that sometimes suffer for years and years and years. I know people who have not recovered after decades. They still have trouble trusting someone because once upon a time they were betrayed in this way. Betrayal kills happiness. But friends, Jesus is a loyal friend. He will never leave us and he will never forsake us. How do I know that? Can I tell you how I, th- how I think about that? I, I don't know if you ever have doubts about the promises of Jesus. There are dark times when I certainly do. And for me, the place to go to is the cross. I, I think about Romans 8, verse 32, where it says that if God didn't withhold his son from us, if he was willing to give Jesus on the cross from us, then man, Of course he won't withhold any other good thing from us either. That's the proof, that's the guarantee that he's for me now and forevermore. And that's why, for me, happiness depends on meditating on the cross. He's done this for me, already he's done this for me. So I know he'll do anything else that's required. He's already pledged himself to me, bound himself to me through the cross. And he's bound himself to you, friends. He'll never leave you, and he'll never forsake you. He's a loyal promise keeper. Secondly, we need a wise promise keeper. That is, we need someone who knows what we need and who promises what we need. The truth is, um, we don't know what we need, always. I don't know, have you ever had instances where you thought you absolutely knew what would make you happy, and then you were proven wrong? (laughs) Remember this car I bought, I was just... I was just so sure it would make me happy. Boy, was that an albatross. It was terrible. Like one week later, I was waiting, couldn't wait to get rid of it. Has that ever happened to you? Just so sure what you need. So one of the amazing things about the Beatitudes, I think, is that Jesus is saying that we need help figuring out what we need. Because that's not the list of things that we would put on what we need, is it? We need someone who's wise enough to tell us what we need. Too often, we want what others have. Too often, envy and jealousy fill us because we're not content with what God has given to us, what God has promised to us in our lives here and now. And envy and jealousy, I think you know, are killers of happiness. Even a good gift, a wonderful gift, becomes something distasteful when we begin to compare what we have with what someone else has. Have you noticed that in your life? Somebody uh, studied Olympic medal winners, psychologists studied to see which is happier, the Olympian who wins the bronze or the Olympian who wins the silver. I just thought this was an interesting study. What they found was that the bronze medal winner was much happier because the guy who won the silver is looking over at the guy that won the gold and he's saying, oh. If I just kicked a little harder at the end of that race. Oh, well, you know what? I got the wrong uh, shoes for this track. I shouldn't have eaten what I ate last. You know, there's a hundred things. He says, I was almost there. I was almost there. Can't believe it. I should have that gold. The guy who's got the bronze, on the other hand, is looking around and said, I'm just glad I'm here. Can't believe I made it. I'm happy I made it, anything at all. So they found that the guy that won the bronze was happy because he's not comparing. He's just happy with what he got. So we have to have a wise promise giver. And we do. We have a wise king who rules over each of our lives and he knows what each of us needs at each stage of our life. Some of us need hard people in our life because we need to grow in showing mercy. And so he brings, well, hard people into your life and into my life. Some of us need to have our eyes focused on heaven where our true reward is. So he brings mean people who mock us and persecute us for our faith. Some of us need to grow in loving peace and making peace. So he puts us in tense situations where we we have to learn those skills. And some of us have to learn how to deny ourselves in order to pursue pursue true righteousness. And so he allows there to be desires in us which we have to learn to say no to. He knows what each of us needs to grow us, to to increase, you might say, our capacity for happiness. He's wise enough to know what's right for each of us and he promises, you notice this, happiness in each situation. He promises happiness in each situation. So we need someone who's loyal as a promise keeper, someone who's wise, and we need someone who's powerful. In other words, someone who has the ability to actually do what he has promised to do. What's the point of making a promise if you can't fulfill it? And the truth is some promises fade. Oh, they're made, they're made with full heart. They're made with good intentions. They start out bright and golden, but they sort of whimper to a finish dark and weak. Robert Frost wrote this little poem, I think a sort of a melancholy little poem. Uh, I think he's thinking about fall, so it's appropriate for this season. It's called Nothing Gold Can Stay. Uh, it says, let me, let me read it for you. Nature's first green is gold, her hardest hue to hold. Her early leaf's a flower, but only so an hour. Then leaf subsides to leaf, as Eden sank to grief. So dawn goes down to day, nothing gold can stay. Nothing gold can stay. I think we know what he talks about because too often life seems that way. Things that are beautiful, we we enjoy them, but we know they're not going to last. And wondering, knowing that the happiness we're experiencing now Won't last, casts a shadow on that happiness itself. We can't even enjoy what we have now because we know it's ending. I do think it's uh, like the fall, you know, we all just love those beautiful trees. We take pictures of them. I take pictures thinking, oh, I got to remember this, I got to remember this, but you know, I've got hundreds of pictures. I never look at them because I don't really want the pictures. I want the real thing. And it's fading. And so, Fall is beautiful, my favorite season, but it also has that melancholy cast on it because it only lasts for a little while, as Frost said. But the promise that we want is of a lasting happiness because that casts a different kind of glow on our life. It gives us power to put up with the ups and downs because we know what we will have one day. So we put up with the bumps convinced that true happiness is ours. But, but, you know, long-term happiness is outside of our control. We can't control the future. So we need someone who does rule today and tomorrow. So it means trusting someone who has that power, looking at Jesus and saying, yep, yep, he can do it. He can do what he's promised. And we wait with happiness. So as you look at Matthew 5, you'll see it's all about future happiness, and it's all about long-term happiness, isn't it? It's looking far ahead. If you think it's only about happiness here and now, if you look at the, the, the promises of Jesus here or the uh, descriptions of Jesus here, you think, I, I need this this week or I need it next month, then you know, that kind of happiness is always going to be infected by seeds of doubt that destroy it. Because Jesus is a promise keeper, but he's powerful. And he controls your whole life and he controls the whole history of the earth. And he says, great is your reward in heaven. Showers of mercy await you from God above. You'll inherit the earth, even if right now you feel like people are ignoring you or walking over you. And he's powerful enough to make those promises because he is Lord and God incarnate. Promises, that's behind happiness. That's what Jesus is saying. promise promises made. It's someone who's able to keep those promises. And then lastly, in order to make this happiness uh, our our own, it's promises trusted. We have to trust these promises. So as you look at people through history who have trusted these promises, you have to ask, well, are they happy? Are they really happy? Hebrews 11 says, is a brief history of a a lot of characters in the unfolding plan of God who trusted in the promises of God, the long-term promises of God. Were they happy? Was Abraham happy? Hebrews 11 says he clung to God's promise of a future glory. And so he lived in a fertile valley, you might say a good civilization, and God called him to go, and Abraham said, where? And God said, I'll tell you later, just go. So he left his family, all of his family, except for one somewhat squirrely nephew named Lot. And he left and he went to a land inhabited by the Canaanites. It says he did it because he trusted the promise of God. I'm going to make you a great nation, Abraham. Trust me. That's a long-term promise. Trust me. It's longer than a lifetime, but trust me. Were he and Sarah happy? I mean, if you read in Genesis, uh, we know that there was a lot of ups and downs. Uh, There was quarrels with this nephew Lot. There was famine they dealt with. They struggled to have a child which produced tremendous marital strife. They waited and they waited and then this utterly incomprehensible command came after they did have a son In Genesis 22, that this son should be sacrificed and Abraham trudged up the mountain. Was he happy? Was he happy when he did that? Hebrews 11 says he went with a kind of a deep happiness in his heart. Why? Because he knew God would keep his promise that Isaac, this son, would be the father of many nations. And so if necessary, he says, he trusted that God would raise Isaac from the dead. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what I but I trust his promise, I trust it, I trust it. Nothing can take away what God has promised, nothing. You think Moses was happy? Wouldn't you love to be a prince? Power and prestige and wealth, people waiting on you, peeling your grapes, you know, handing them to you. Wouldn't you love to be a prince? But it says in Hebrews 11 that he gave it up willingly. He chose to endure ill treatment. Why? It says, because he was looking for a future reward. There's something greater than this, and I want that, he said. I trust in the promises of God. He chose it. It was his happy choice to trust in the promises of a powerful God who rescued his people from bondage and then displayed his power in amazing ways through his appointed leaders like Moses and Aaron. That's happiness. It's promises made, it's promises kept, and it's promises trusted. Friends, that's Jesus' prescription for happiness. We'll have more to say in the days ahead, but I just want you to know that it's a wonderful, solid basis for true happiness in life. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's what James says James chapter 5, verse 10 and 11. It uses the same word which is translated blessed in Matthew 5, same word which can also be translated happy or fortunate. And in this translation, it's translated happy. I'm reading from the Revised Standard Version, James 5, 10 and 11. As an example of suffering and patience, brethren, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. Behold, we call those happy who are steadfast. You've heard of the steadfastness of Job, and you've seen the purpose of the Lord, how the Lord is compassionate and mercy. Friends, we call them happy because they experienced the mercy and the compassionate kindness of God. Happiness is trusting the promises of this great God who loves you, who's compassionate, whose joy is in your welfare. And who wants to do you good with all his heart and all his soul. Promises. That's the key to happiness for God's people. Amen. Lord, blessed be your name. Glory to your name for being a God who loves us, who cares for us. Who will be with us now and forever and whose promises arc over history and transcend over our lives. They can't be touched by the changing circumstances that we experience. They remain golden, they remain pure, they remain high, and they are ours because you have promised them to us. We pray, Lord, that your people will be a happy people, knowing that this great God is for them now and eternally. We love you, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray, It. amen. Amen. Friends, we're a resurrection people. If you think that all you're going to get, all the happiness is for this life, for here, for now, for this week or this month, then you're denying the resurrection of Jesus and his promise, which said, because I live, therefore you will live also. He's going to accomplish all his promises They begin now, but they're accomplished in eternity. So so that's my benediction. May the Lord God fill you with faith and make you happy as you trust his promises and live by those promises. Amen.